M2 Max will absolutely, positively be faster than M1 Max. But the question you all keep asking me right now is, by how much? So in this video, we're going to break down the most likely speed increases for both single and multi-core across all the cores, as well as some potential surprises when it comes to processors, process, and off-core features. Now, we all know M1 was based on the A14 Bionic. Same Ice Storm efficiency cores or E-cores, but up from 1.8 gigahertz to 2 gigahertz. Same Firestorm performance cores or P-cores, but up from 3 gigahertz to 3.2 gigahertz and doubled from 2 to 4. Also, same G13 graphics cores or GPU, but doubled from 4 to up to 8. Same fourth generation Apple Neural Engine cores or ANE, H.264 and HEVC media engines, Thunderbolt controllers, and some Mac specific features like hypervisor and x86 translation accelerators, along with up to 16 gigabytes of low power DDR4X unified memory, all fabricated on Taiwan Semiconductor's OG 5 nanometer process. And if M2 is coming anytime soon, like before the end of the year anytime soon, it'll likely be based on the A15 Bionic. Same Blizzard E-cores, which are already at 2 GHz, so maybe 2.2 GHz. Same Avalanche P-cores, which are likewise already at 3.2 GHz, so maybe 3.4 GHz. We'll have to just wait and see on all that. And similarly doubled from 2 to 4. Same G14 GPU, but it already comes with up to 5, which means potentially doubled up to 10. Same 5th generation A&E cores, ProRes media engines, along with probably still up to 16 gigabytes of unified memory. Although Apple has already gone to LPDDR5 in the M1 Pro and M1 Max, so we'll just have to wait and see what they do with the baseline M2 in terms of that as well. All on TSMC's second generation 5 nanometer process. And if that assumption is correct, it means we can look at A15 performance compared to A14 and make some well-informed, educated estimates on how the M2 will perform compared to M1. But fair warning, all the benchmark LARPers out there, like I explained in my video, it's gonna get complicated. Because here's the thing, A15 wasn't about performance, it was about efficiency. But Apple Silicon team firmly believes efficiency is how you drive performance. I mean, we literally live in a world right now where Intel and Nvidia are so beyond desperate to post higher benchmark LARP creds than AMD, they're throwing ungodly amounts of power at their processors. So much so that combined together, they might soon exceed what a single household outlet can supply. Like forget they already can't sustain performance on battery or in a mini tower without liquid cooling. They are seriously looking to add brown out your fuse box to that list. And yes, I kid, but not by very much. Meanwhile, Apple is legitimately going toe to toe at a fraction of the power and sustaining on battery and in enclosures thinner than their helicarrier cards or smaller than their power supplies. And that's important, it's critically important because while yes, increased perf enables new types of apps and workflows on small, highly mobile devices, increased efficiency enables longer battery life even in highly constrained enclosures like the iPhone 13 and maybe just like the upcoming redesigned MacBook or MacBook Air, whatever Apple ends up calling it. So sure, it takes a village, including better chemistry, bigger batteries and more efficient displays but the iPhone 13 Pro with higher clock speeds, an extra GPU core, and ProRes engines capable of crushing 422 HQ video 
is not just getting better battery life than the iPhone 12 Pro did, it's getting redonkulously better battery life than the iPhone 12 Pro did while being all that extra all at the same time. Now, imagine that, but transposed to a next generation MacBook or Air, and more on that in a minute. Because according to Anantech, in terms of pure A14 to A15 Delta, some of the performance improvements come down purely to those frequency increases. The N5P node gives them about 5%, and Apple pushed the E cores another 5%, and the P cores 3 to 5%, depending on single versus multi-core. Apple also doubled the system level cache, or SLC, from 16 to a whopping 32 gigabytes, and the P cores specifically have increased L2 cache from 8 to 12 megabytes, all of which is a different kind of speed. To make the worst analogy possible, how fast you go from A to B doesn't really matter if you're already sitting there on B. Now, performance increases on those P cores go from about 2.5% to over 37%, depending on the type and latency of the workload. And that's with efficiency increases of like 8% to 24% as well, even at those increased performance levels. For the E cores, performance is up over 28%, which is staggering, not only in its own right, but in that it means those P cores have to engage even less frequently than before, leading to even more efficiency increases. And M2, at the very, very least, should get that 5% N5P node boost to frequencies as well, and maybe an extra 3 to 5% on top of that, like the A15 did, just because the enclosures are big enough to support it. And since the whole entire M1 family, all the way up to Ultra, all have those same single cores, which means they all have the same single core performance, this will give some boost to those who still have some or significant single core bottlenecks in their workloads. For the GPU cores, it is a little trickier because the A15 Pro already has an extra core. M1 already got some of the A15 improvements like double FP32 throughput, but will still benefit from the doubled SLC. And the iPhone's tiny thermal envelope means the four core GPU does throttle down hard and the five core even harder with anything approaching a sustained load lasting more than several minutes. Something that just won't happen as quickly in a new fanless MacBook or MacBook Air, even if it's svelted all the way down to a 12-inch MacBook-style enclosure, and maybe not at all, like at all at all in a new Mac Mini. But since M2 is expected to inherit that extra GPU core and double the whole entire block the way M1 did, that would make for two extra cores. In other words, an increase from 8 to 10, and that would lead to a massive 30% boost overall. The A15 A and E cores, meanwhile, are faster, but by how much has proven really hard to interrogate, beyond enough to support the new iPhone-specific features like cinematic mode. More interestingly, Apple introduced ProRes media engines on the A15, which don't exist on A14 or M1, but do exist on M1 Pro and M1 Max, which means Apple is more than happy to mix and match off-core features across silicon IP generations. And that's interesting, not only because we could see a new M2 MacBook or MacBook Air, even reduced in size, that can still handle at least basic ProRes video just way beyond what any M1 could, but we could also see new features Apple's been developing specifically for A16 also show up, if not in M2, then maybe later in M2 Pro and M2 Max. For example, Apple didn't move to the ARM v9 instruction set architecture in either M1 or A15, but if they're planning to for A16, 
maybe they will for M2 as well. Not that I think it'll matter much, given how Apple drove ARM V9 and ARM64 was basically the Apple ISA, and ARM V9 looks to be mostly catch-up for ARM's design licensees. But the new SVE2, or Scalable Vector Extensions, do look super interesting, so every little bit here will help. Likewise, LPDDR5 RAM, which Apple is using for M1 Pro and M1 Max, but didn't use for A15. Now that could stay M2 Pro and M2 Max, or Apple could push that all the way down to the baseline M2 as well. And if we extrapolate out further, we could be seeing M2 Pro with 4 E-cores and 8 P-cores, or 2 E-cores and 10 P-cores, plus up to 20 GPU cores, and M2 Max with the same CPU configuration, but up to 40 GPU cores. And yeah, that would mean a dual-die fused M2 Ultra with up to a 24-core CPU and 80-core GPU, and who knows what else beyond that, maybe an interposer that can handle quad dies. And just all of that might be much, much clearer once we see the first Apple Silicon Mac Pro, maybe as soon as WWDC in June. But taken together, it means a substantial generation over generation increase in multi-core performance as well, because way more massively multi-cores. And thanks to the increased efficiency, all of that fits ever so nicely into the same or in some cases, even smaller thermal envelopes, basically the exact opposite of what's been happening with Intel and NVIDIA. And this is all also just the most conservative estimates possible as well. If TSMC has capacity on their new N4 process, which is really kind of just a third N5 optimization, it could add a little icing here. Or going just full-on fanfic mode, if Apple is willing and able to base M2 on A16 rather than A15, it could be a whole tother cake entirely. But my guess is N4 capacity will be reserved for the A16, at least initially, and the iPhone 14 is priority for that generation IP, also at least initially. But hey, an Apple nerd can and will dream. And for a ton more on that, check out the head of Mac product marketing and Apple's VP of Silicon, like all of my interviews, ad-free and sponsor-free and extended on Nebula, along with my exclusive new studio tour series where I've posted episode three, Lighting Now, alongside episode two, Mics and Sound, and episode one, Cameras, and I'm putting the finishing touches on episode four, Sets, right now. Basically, everything all of you keep asking me for, so always, because on Nebula, all of your favorite education creators, we have the absolute luxury of making videos that don't have to be optimized for our channels, including bonus and extended versions of videos, ones that I just know the nerdiest, most dedicated and hardcore of you will totally, totally love, all ad-free, sponsor-free on Nebula and bundled in for free when you sign up with today's sponsor at curiositystream.com slash Richie or click the link below. And right now, because you're watching this video, you can get CuriosityStream on sale for 26% off less than 15 bucks a year, way, way less than the price of your average Mac dongle for a whole entire year. And that includes their thousands of amazing documentaries and series and a whole entire section on technology that goes deep into not just the science, but the ethics of everything that we're so busily racing to invent. It is the absolute best way to support educational creators directly and just the best damn deal in streaming today. So for over 26% off CuriosityStream, less than $15 a year, and Nebula bundled in for free, click the button on the screen 
or go to acrossystream.com slash Ritchie. Clicking on that button really helps out this channel and so does hitting up this playlist for way more hyper-detailed videos on M1, M2, and everything coming next. Just hit up that playlist and I'll see you in the next video.